And, and so um, just by way of reminder, I want to set the context for us. I know I do this every week. Um, it's going to be a little more abbreviated this week. Um, we are looking at, as we're studying in Revelation chapter 6, all the way to chapter 19, we are looking at future events, events that are going to happen in the future. I believe it's going to happen in the near future as we look at things unrolling um, on planet Earth. That period of time is known as, the seven-year period is known as the, the tribulation period. Um, I do not believe that we will be here during that time, the church. I don't believe we will be here. Um, I believe that Jesus is coming for us. There's going to be a mass evacuation by the Lord. He's going to come. We're going to meet him in the air, and he's going to take us home to the Father's house where he is preparing a place for, right, for us right now. As we, as, isn't that awesome? Amen. It's glorious. The Bible tells us that we are not appointed unto wrath. During the tribulation period, it will be a time of wrath. God's wrath poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. And it's Jesus who saves us from the wrath to come. And so he is coming. We are to be ready for his return, to be about his business. This time on earth um, that we're looking at, 6 through 19, it is gnarly, the, the things that are going to happen, the judgments that are going to unfold. And we've been looking at um, the judgments as we've studied through these chapters. Remember, it began with the seven seals, right? The seven seal judgments. It moved on to the seven uh, trumpet judgments. And then later, we're going to see the seven bowl judgments. I believe they are chronological. They are sequential in order. It's not all one big blast of wrath. Um, and so, and I think it's important to understand because during this time period, God is giving men and women an opportunity to repent and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that God continues to reach out. His heart um, is, is love for the lost, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believes in him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. His heart is broken for the lost. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And so this will be a time where on planet Earth, a lot of people are going to get saved, but also planet Earth's going to get fumigated as well. Wickedness and wicked ones will be removed. Ultimately, this place is going to get cleansed and cleared out. And all along the way, God is dealing with the nation of Israel. He is uh, he's not through with the Jew. In fact, at the end of the tribulation, um, the Jewish people will recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and cry out for him. And he, Revelation 19, he will come. And who's going to be with him? What are we going to be riding? Harleys, did I hear? No, <laughs> white horses cruising with our Lord. And so um, right now where we are in chapter 10 through uh, chapter 14 roughly is a, is a parenthesis. It's an intermission. It's a pause, if you will where we are given more information, we are receiving more insight, in some cases getting a backstory of what's happening during the tribulation period. Um, this parenthetical passage, again, constitutes the majority of chapter 10 through 14. We are now in between the sixth and seventh trumpet. The end of chapter 11, we'll see the seventh trumpet, which introduces the seven bowls of judgment. And so... We left, where did we leave off last week? Verse 1 or 2? Let's go back to verse 1. How's that sound? Is that cool? Let's do it. God's Word says, John writes, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it. For, why? For, it's a reason word, it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city, what's the holy city? Jerusalem, underfoot for 42 Months And so, again, just by way of reminder, John is now, John's becoming part of this vision, we see. John is handed a reed 
And remember, reeds were used for, uh, they didn't have measuring tape. He's given a reed to do the measurements of three things. Number one, the temple, the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. Number two, what's the second thing? The, the altar. And number three, the... The worshipers, those that are worshiping there in Jerusalem. And so sacrifices and offerings will resume on the rebuilt altar um, at the temple in Jerusalem during the tribulation period. The temple may be rebuilt before the tribulation begins and may be rebuilt during the tribulation. It's not quite clear. But I find it interesting, before we move on, worshipers are to be measured and not counted. I find that interesting because so often people look at the church and how many people go there? What's the, what, what's the, what are you guys running over there? I'd say heaven measures rather than counts. I'd rather be, I'd rather be super deep than super wide. You know what I'm saying? In, in our depth, in our intimacy and relationship with Jesus Christ. And so look what it says in verse 2. John is told not to include in the measurements of the court, uh, not to include in the measurement, the court that is outside the temple, and then we're given a reason why. It's given to who? The Gentiles. What's a Gentile? A non-Jew, right? And so it's given to the non-Jews, the Gentiles, and they, the Gentiles, will trample and crush Jerusalem for how long? For 42 months. 42 months is three and a half years. Based upon a 360-day Jewish calendar, which is always the calendar for prophecy, by the way. And so, three and a half years, the Gentiles are going to be crushing and trampling on Jerusalem. I believe that speaks of the second half of the tribulation. Why do I think that? If you're taking notes, I'm going to flip there. Jesus is giving the Olivet Discourse in Luke chapter 21. I'm going to read it real quick. In Luke chapter 21, and it's right before Jesus shows up. Or before Jesus speaks about his coming in the with power and great glory to set up his kingdom. In Luke 21, 24, Jesus said, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles, check this out, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So Gentile domination will, will continue to happen until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, until Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus sets up his kingdom here on earth for how long? thousand years, a.k.a. the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. According to Daniel chapter 9, you guys remember this? According to Daniel chapter 9, the Antichrist will make a covenant with many of the Jews. In fact, many of the Jews right now are looking forward to the temple being rebuilt. Did you know that? That, that it's in, the, the plans are already done. All the implements for sacrifices and offerings are put together. Many Jews are looking for the rebuilding of the temple. Many Jews are looking for the Messiah. They are ripe, listen, they are ripe for the Antichrist. Being prepared for this one who's going to come on the scene and broker some kind of deal with them, with many of the Jews, for seven years. Daniel 9 says, for seven years there's going to be this peace treaty, this covenant that is made, but halfway through, what's halfway through? Three and a half years, he's going to break the covenant sacrifices and offerings will stop. Check this out. The Second Thessalonians chapter 2, if you're taking notes, the Antichrist will go into the rebuilt temple, into the Holy of Holies, proclaim himself as God, and demand to be worshipped as God. There will be an image set up, an idolatrous image. The abomination of desolation will be set up in the temple. In fact, Jesus told us about that, didn't he? 
He said, if you're around during that time and you see the abomination of desolation as spoken by Daniel, what did he say? Chill out in Jerusalem? Run for the hills. Why? Because the Antichrist and all of his cronies are going to attack and kill the Jews and try to exterminate them. They're going to trample Jerusalem is the idea. And the Jews, many of them will flee to the rock city of Petra, where God will preserve them. And so um, this Antichrist is going to initiate three and a half years of a holocaust. Um, And so, but what happens in the end? Jesus wins, doesn't he? That's the good news this morning. And so Christians will be hunted down as well at that time, it seems. And now in verse 3, we are introduced to two witnesses that will be on the scene at this time during the tribulation. And it says, look what it says to me in verse 3, verse 3 through 6. God's word says, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days. What are they going to be wearing? Clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. So we're introduced to these two witnesses. And notice the information that we are given about them. Number one, there's two of them. And I, I think that's like really simple, obvious observation. But remember, Jesus sent his guys out how? Two by two. So two witnesses are there, and they are going to be given power. They're going to be endued with power from on high, from heaven, in order to do what? In order to be a witness or to witness to testify on behalf of Jesus Christ. Beautiful. And notice it's my two witnesses. These two guys have a relationship with the Lord. And not only do they have a relationship with the Lord, but they are obedient to what God has called them to do. They minister out of their obedience and they are faithful to do and to finish what God has called them to do. By the way, we're going to talk about this later. God has called us all as Christians to be his witnesses and to be faithful and to finish what he's called us to finish as well. And so I would point out here, God always has a faithful witness, doesn't he? Doesn't God always have a faithful witness? Did anybody witness to you before you gave your life to the Lord? Aren't you glad God brought people into your life that were faithful? I mean, we see it in the scriptures all the way through from Noah to Lot to Elijah to John the Baptist to the 144,000 witnesses two more witnesses, and the Lord wants to use you and I right where he has us, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our city, and everywhere the Lord Jesus would lead us, that we might be his witnesses to a lost, to a, listen, to a lost and jacked up world. And so um, these guys are on the scene in Jerusalem. They're supernaturally empowered. And who are they testifying to? Who are they witnessing to? They're witnessing to the Jews coming back. The Jews are being, right now, regathered back into their land after 1948. There's tons of Jews there. There's Gentiles there. There's Muslims there. And not only that, we're going to see in a little while that their impact is global. Their witness is going viral. It's all over the world. And so those gathering, those gathering to worship at the temple, though, the rebuilt temple, they're hearing all about Jesus and how he's the promised Messiah. And so how long will they prophesy? Look what it says. The two witnesses will speak on behalf of God. That's what it means to prophesy. Speak words on behalf of the Lord for how long? 1,260 days. Take a guess. Three and a half years. I believe this is the first half of the seven-year period of tribulation that they are there witnessing during this time. They're on the scene. And then in the middle of the tribulation is where we're going to see in a moment that they get killed. 
and then that unleashes the Antichrist. He goes on the rampage. Um, so the first half of the tribulation, these two dudes are on the scene, and uh, they're being faithful, and notice they're wearing some attention-getting outfits, aren't they? What are they wearing? Would that be comfortable? Fashionable? No, what is that communicating? I think, number one, it communicates God's heart. When you're wearing sackcloth and ashes, you see in the Old Testament, it speaks of brokenness. It speaks of, uh, of, 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 of hurt. Sackcloth is not a very comfortable product. I haven't worn it. Has anybody else worn it? But it communicates the heart of the prophet that's communicating the heart of God to the people. That God's heart is broken for the lost. In fact, he does not delight in the death of the wicked, we're told in Ezekiel. Again, his heart burns for those that are lost. And so in this outfit, it's attention-getting, it's uncomfortable, and it's communicating, man, it's communicating the heart of God to those that are listening. And not only that, what's interesting is the message that they're proclaiming, it is tormenting the listeners. In verse 10, if you look down at verse 10, um, it says, And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Interesting. So this, the audience, all the people that are listening, hearing, watching, they're tormented. They're ticked off. They are not happy about what they're hearing, what they're seeing. What, what's that going to be like? What do you think that would be like? Anybody, did anybody see the Roe versus Wade decision? Thank you, Lord. Have you guys seen the anti-abortion, uh, the, uh, the pro-abortion people, their faces, the anger, the torment, they're tweaked, the stuff they're doing. These witnesses are going to be on the scene preaching, and the crowd is so ticked off, they're so angry, so tormented, and notice what it says in the next verse, this is so good, I love this. The two witnesses are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. What in the world does that mean? Well, we know, don't we? Over 500 references in Revelation point us back to the Old Testament. This is from Zechariah. If you're taking notes, I would check it out later. Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. It's a direct reference to that passage where God was speaking about his two anointed ones. And remember the, the context of Zechariah. Zechariah was the prophet who was on the scene when the Jews came back from Babylon to rebuild the temple after it had been destroyed by, by the Babylonians. And there were two men, one named Zerubbabel and one named Joshua, one a civic leader and one a spiritual leader that were in charge of rebuilding the temple. And they ran into some problems rebuilding the temple, big time problems. In fact, the work got shut down. And so they were discouraged. You guys ever get discouraged? No? You guys never get discouraged? Pray for me. It could be discouraging serving the Lord. Right? That's a different Bible study. But these two guys are discouraged. They're bummed. And Zechariah shares a message from God to them. And what does he say to them? Hey, it's not by might nor by power, but by my, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This mountain you see, it's going to get leveled. This, this insurmountable project that you, you don't think you can finish, guess what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you what you need. And when you get done, all you can shout is grace, grace, grace. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else screaming grace with me? Thank you, Lord. I can't believe what you did. All under, the sup all under the supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit. Glorious. And so, these two witnesses are going to finish their ministry. They're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit in a world that is so dark, the darkness can be felt, so evil, so heavy, yet they will be supernaturally empowered to finish 
what God has called them to do, and they will do it faithfully. Can I just remind us this morning, God will give you everything you need to be successful in what he's called you to do. But you need to look to his strength. You need to look to his wisdom. To tr- All he's asking you and I to do is to trust him. Say, okay, Lord, I'll take the step of faith. I will do what you've called me to do. I will be a witness here, Lord. I will serve you. I will shine brightly for you in this gnarly place, this dark place, and I will trust in the power of your spirit to do it. And so we must, listen this morning, we must rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. What's begun in the spirit must continue in the spirit, and God gives us what we need to be successful in what he's called us to do. Verse 5, look at this. If anyone wants to put a hurting on them, don't you wish this was a spiritual gift? It's just a joke. 290 traffic, you're just, just a little, just a little roast, Lord. Not, a, not full blast, just, just to get their attention. Pray for, see, pray for me. So if anyone wants to put a hurting on them, the two witnesses, they're going to get wiped out. They're going to get torched. And you know what that tells me? Attempts are going to be made to stop them. Attempts are going to be made to silence them. Attempts are going to be made. Everyone wants to kill them. But here's the deal. Violence against these two witnesses will be put on hold. Are they fire breathing or will their, will their command bring fire? I don't know. It's, it sounds like they're going to be fire breathing, but I don't know. It sounds very similar to an Old Testament prophet, doesn't it? Elijah, thank you. Yeah, and, and look what it says. What else can they do? Verse 6. For the three and a half years, the two witnesses can prevent rain, turn water to blood, and bring plagues on the earth. When? Anytime they want to. So the question is, who are the two witnesses? Oh! <gasps> There's lots of speculation, lots of conjecture. Every nut job in town says they're one of the two witnesses. <laughs> I'm like, really? Can you show me that fire thing? I'd love to see that, bro. Or, or they're one of the 144,000. Really, which tribe you from, dude? How many of you guys? think it's one of them is Elijah. Anybody believe Elijah? Moses? Anybody? Moses? Enoch? Got some Enoch hands going up? Yeah. Zerubbabel and Joshua? Any Zerubbabel and Joshua people here? Anybody? Maybe you have no clue at all. Just put right up the hand. That's okay. It's okay. Not, be honest in church, right? Those are some of the candidates people say, you know, does God bring back into time, into space, two of his Old Testament heroes to be on the scene at this time? Can you imagine if it was Moses and Elijah there in Jerusalem preaching right in front of all these Jews and seeing the accompanying signs go with it? Or is it just two witnesses that God raises up, supernaturally empowers them for such a time as this? It's not clear, but it's interesting because Elijah had a couple of instances where he called down fire. You guys remember on uh, Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, 2 Kings chapter 1, the, uh, the Sumerian army that came after him, fire came down and torched them. James tells us that he prayed that it would not rain for how long? Three and a half years. The book of Malachi, chapter 4, I think it's like right around verse 5, tells us that Elijah will come before the great day of the Lord. And so the day of the Lord speaks of the tribulation period. Um, John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah, but Malachi tells us that Elijah is going to be on the scene before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. It could be Elijah. It could be Moses also, possibly. Remember, it was Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, right? One representing the law, one representing the prophets. You got these two guys. uh, Remember, Moses was uh, involved with all the plagues uh, upon Egypt. It sounds very familiar. Remember Enoch, too? Remember Enoch? He walked with God, and then personal rapture time. He didn't die. So he's a possible candidate. What do you think, Mike? 
I think it's two witnesses. <laughs> uh, by the way, they are male witnesses. It, it's the, the word, the phrase is used prophets, not prophetesses. So they're two dudes that show up. And I mean, there's times I lean toward Moses and Elijah. I don't know for sure. We're not going to be here for it. So it's interesting. We can talk about it. And in any event, please notice verse 7. This is an important phrase. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then, the, then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days, and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another. Why? Because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. And so the two witnesses, the two prophets, they testify during the first half of the tribulation, three and a half years, again, faithful to what God's called them to do. And then at midpoint of the tribulation, um, the Antichrist will fight against the two witnesses and kill them. Their testimony, their witness to the truth will end with martyrdom. And God allows it. And God allows it to happen. Can I point this out though? Their lives were invincible until God called them home. Their lives were invincible until God called them home. Do you know that you're invincible until God calls you home? Till you and I finish our testimony. And who is it that kills them? It's the beast. And I believe it's a direct reference to the Antichrist, a very uh, fitting title, because, because inside he's a monster. What he does, what he, how he takes life and kills people, he is an absolute monster on the inside. He may be beautiful, he may be a handsome, striking person, but inside he is full of wickedness and evil, and he is on the rampage to kill and to destroy people's lives. And we're going to learn more about him later on as we work our way through this whole thing about rising from the abyss. Um, remember, at this time, there is a counterfeit trinity on the scene, an unholy trinity. Um, there's, a, there's, an, there's a counterfeit father with Satan. There's a counterfeit son with the Antichrist, and there's a counterfeit Holy Spirit with the false prophet, that they're going to be operating with lying signs and wonders, deceiving people, ripping people off, taking life and hurting people at this time. So heavy, and beast is a very fitting term. In fact, look at verse 8. The two witnesses will not even receive a burial. And by the way, that speaks of disrespect and hatred. In that culture, in that part of the world, um, you give people a proper burial, especially with the Jews. And they just leave the, their bodies there in the streets of Jerusalem, the same place our Lord Jesus was crucified when he laid down his life for the truth. And please notice how far Jerusalem um, descends into sin and darkness. The spiritual condition of those there is likened to two infamous places, Sodom and where? And Egypt. Sodom was known for sexual immorality off the Richter, and Egypt was known for what? For idolatry. And so this is important to take note of. From a heavenly perspective, as God looked upon all the religious activity, just like he looks upon religious activity today, all the trappings, all the coming to the altar, coming to the temple, coming to the church building, all of that religious activity is displeasing to God. Why? Because it's a veneer. They're involved in sexual immorality. They're involved in idolatry. It was all a cover-up for the lives that they were, they were living apart from going to church. Oh, it happens today, doesn't it? Does it happen today still? 
People claim one thing with their lips and live their lives in a totally different fashion, um, according to a whole different morality. And so um, all these people are coming to worship consecrated, dedicated to God with offerings and sacrifices. And what does the Lord do? He sees right through the veneer. He sees right through it all, all through the cover-up, all through the phoniness, all through the masks. He sees right through it all. And listen, the only way to approach God to come to him is through Jesus Christ, his son. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say I'm one of many ways. I am the way to come in prayer, to come in worship, to come to heaven. It's only through Jesus Christ. And so verse 9, look what it says. The entire planet is able to see the two witnesses, their dead, unburied bodies for three and a half days. What's interesting is this is something that's possible with today's technology. You know, for, for hundreds of years, those students of the Bible were looking at this going, how in the world can this happen? How can all these tribes, tongues, nations see their bodies at once? How can that happen? It's possible today, though, isn't it, with our technology? In fact, there's a camera right now, a live stream. You can watch the Western Wall in Jerusalem 24-7. Just like you watch the killer waves down at Galveston right now on a cam. (laughs) There's cams all over the place. This technology, I mean, high-speed internet, Starlink, right? It's connected the whole globe, hasn't it? Connected the whole globe. In fact, you can watch on your cell phone anywhere in the world pretty much now. Things that are going on, and it's crazy. Um, I was sharing first service when we were in Sudan in this little village um, out in the middle of nowhere in this hut. They're called Tukul's. We're in this Tukul, and we're invited to this family's hut. I mean, out in the middle, it's like National Geographic stuff. We go into this hut, and they're, they're breaking out the food for us to bless us. You know what else they broke out? Their cell phones. <laughs> Check out our pictures here. Check out this. Wait a minute, we're in the middle of nowhere. In India, we went to India, out in the middle of nowhere, everybody's got cell phones. So how can this be possible with today's technology? The whole entire planet is able to see the two witnesses, their dead, unburied bodies. In fact, at this time, there's going to be a new holiday. Look what it says. The earth dwellers, those who dwell on earth, unbelievers left on earth after the rapture, those who live for and love this present world, that's an earth dweller. They're going to throw a party and they're going to exchange gifts. Did you see that? Dead prophets day. Here we go. Amazon, Amazon's going to have a lot of business that day, those days. CNN, right? CNN's going to be there. Maybe Geraldo Life. No, no, no. (laughs) Someone will be there covering giving updates. Why? why? Why are they partying? Look what it says. Because the two prophets annoyed them, brought conviction into their lives. Can I just remind us this morning that God's truth torments people? that God's definitions of right and wrong torment people? Can I remind us that a righteous life torments people? Living for Jesus torments people. Because why? Because we're the light of the world. We're shining. And, we, and when we shine, we reveal. Don't, isn't that what light does? It reveals. It reveals those people that are walking in darkness that love sin And they want to stop the light. They want to extinguish the light. Get the light away from... Remember John the Baptist? Remember John the Baptist? You guys still with me this morning? John the Baptist. Jesus said, you chose to rejoice in his light. John the Baptist was a burning and shining light to y'all. Jesus didn't say y'all. He was from northern Israel, right? He's a burning and shining lamp. Listen, we can't shine unless we're burning in our hearts. But remember what happened to him? 
John, John the Baptist got thrown in prison by who? By Herod, right? Herod tried to put out John's light, Herodias, right? They were convicted. Why? Because of the things he said, the things he did. Even after John the Baptist was beheaded, they were tripping out, weren't they? Is this John the Baptist risen from the dead? Oh no, he's back to get us with the truth. But that's a righteous life does that, brings conviction. A righteous life brings light into people's lives. Why? So we, so we can turn people away? No, we want people to come to Jesus, to come to the light, to come to know him, that they might experience the life that we get to have as we walk with Jesus, because it's a glorious life, isn't it? If not, you need to come forward and repent this morning and get right. It is the glory, the most glorious life walking with Jesus, yes. following him. There's nothing better. Thank you, Lord. Well, look what happens next. Aren't you glad that God always has the final say? Yes. Oh, this is so good. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood to their feet, or stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. I bet there will be. <laughs> and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. How awesome is that? Amen. So these people are, what's the gift exchange? What's the gift return policy? <laughs> They're handing out gifts. They're blowing the party favors. Got the pom-poms out. Parade. Doesn't say that. I'm just, you know what I'm saying. They're making merry. They're partying. And then all of a sudden, three and a half days later, God breathes life into them. And what do they do? Spring to life. And I love that so much. Why? Because when God breathes, what is dead comes to life. And that's what he's done in our lives. Okay? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he made us alive, a spiritual resurrection, a spiritual Easter, if you will, in our lives. And so, so glorious. This had to be a sobering moment for those on planet Earth, a wet blanket, if you will. Turn out the lights, the party's over, man, when this happens great fear. They're overwhelmed with fear. And then the two witnesses are called home to heaven. Isn't that cool? Come up here. And then they ascend in a cloud. I don't think it was like, well, we're going to experience the rapture, like twinkling of an eye, boom, gone, we're out of here. I think it was like, remember in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus ascended, the disciples just kind of kept standing there like a balloon. You guys ever let, a, like your kid lets a balloon go? And you're just, it just keeps going and going like slow motion. See y'all later. (laughs) Awesome. And then what happened? In the same hour, there was a great earthquake. I've seen a number of earthquakes in the tribulation. It's a great one. And a tenth of the city fell. One tenth of Jerusalem gets wiped out. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So great earthquake happens. One-tenth of the city gets wiped out. And how many people died? 7,000. By the way, that's the mercy of God. Not everybody got killed in this earthquake. And the rest of the people there They did what? What does it say? They gave glory to God. Does that mean they repented and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? We're not told. But what happened is so severe, so significant, that godly fear permeates the survivors. There's no denying this was a God thing that happened. And then it says, look at verse 14, the second woe is past. And remember, the second woe began with the blowing of the sixth trumpet. And now the final phase is over. All of this has been contained in the second woe. The third woe begins after the seventh trumpet is blown. And the seventh trumpet will introduce the seven bold judgments. And the announcement at this time is the final woe is what? Right around the corner. Look out. 
Woe means look out, repent, get right with God before time expires. And so we don't have time to finish the rest of the chapter, but we do have time for application. What is the application? Can I remind again, every one of us, each one of us has a testimony. Our testimony really began when we gave our life to Jesus Christ, when we gave him our heart. And sometimes you hear a testimony and all they do is glorify their past. You guys ever had that happen? And I was in a biker gang and I did this and I robbed the bank and went to Mexico, did this and that, and I gave my life to Jesus and all is good. Drop the mic. See ya. And we don't hear about Jesus. We don't hear about what he's doing in your life right now, the fresh work that he's doing. And there's some of you, I know, that you were raised in a Christian home. And you've walked with Jesus your whole life. And can I just remind you, that's the greatest testimony of all, I think. The keeping power of the Lord. He's kept you close to his heart. You've been faithful all these days as he's grown you in your walk. Don't go out and try to build a testimony. I, I don't have a testimony like Pastor Mike. I need to go out and I need to to get on my bike and go, <laughs> whatever. You don't need to build your testimony. That is an awesome testimony. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so when we give our life to Jesus, now we begin our, not only our walk, but our witness for him. And a witness does what? A witness testifies. A witness testifies to their relationship with Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Here's what I know about him. Here's the truth about Jesus. And our ministry may not look similar to one another, where the Lord has us, where the Lord had these two witnesses, but we are, listen, we are all called to be faithful, to be a witness for him. Does it say that anywhere? Does it say that anywhere? Where? Anybody? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Did you guys catch that? Not just to go witnessing like on Friday nights, but to be a witness for Jesus wherever he leads your feet, to testify, to go on record with your life and with your lips for the furtherance of his kingdom, for his glory, and for your joy too. Can I remind you for your joy? It is a blast serving Jesus. It is the greatest life ever serving Jesus. It is a joy serving Jesus. And if, it, if it's not a joy for you, it's a bummer for you, it's not because it's not of him. Because Jesus said, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. Can I encourage us to be faithful? Jesus has power to give to us in order to be his witnesses. He didn't leave us as orphans. He's given us the Holy Spirit, not only as a down payment of our future home in heaven, but he also says the Holy Spirit will give you power to be his witnesses. Does anybody need power this morning? Yes. Anybody need strength this morning? Yes. No, I got this one. I'm good. We just sang, Lord, I need you. Don't we need him? Yes. Every hour, I need you. I need your strength. And what's so beautiful is not only is the baptism of the Holy Spirit available to God's, to God's children, but to be filled and to be refilled also. Aren't you glad God's into refills? Don't be drunk with wine, which is a waste, but be filled continually with the Spirit. We need, you know what that tells us? We need to be continually filled with the Spirit in order to be strengthened and empowered to do what he's called us to do, to be his witnesses. And listen, to be witnesses when it's hard, to be witnesses when it's not hard, to be witnesses in our home, that's, I think that's one of the hardest places to be a witness, yes. is in our home. Correct? Yes. 
and you just say, Lord, fill me up. Fill me with your spirit. I got to take out the kitty litter. That's one of my jobs at the house. We all have our, I get that, that department, if you will. It's hard. Isn't there some things that are hard in the home to do? I just got home. I, I got to rest. Come on. Can't someone else do it? And then it's like, no. What does the Lord say? No, Mikey, that's your job. And so you say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. And what do you do? You go over there, and now you realize I'm panning for gold. Okay. <laughs> Lord, I lift your name on high. I realize I'm not the same person after that prayer as I am before. The Lord empowers us to do those things, to give him praise. Because if, I mean, what does that say about our God if all you do is grumble and complain in your home? Wow, that filling, I don't know what you're filled with, Dad, but I don't want that. To be a witness in our homes. To be a witness, you guys, anybody have any tough neighbors? Don't, no raise a hand, it's okay. <laughs> Some tough neighbors need Jesus. Need to be a witness in the workplace. How about social media? <gasps> Did you go touch social media, my social media this morning, Pastor? I'm touching your social media this morning. Listen, I'm not a stalker, by the way. <laughs> Pastor's looking at my social media. I'm not looking, I'm not, but every once in a while people show me my precious brothers and sisters' social media. And can I just remind us, it's, it's, our message is not just what we're against. Because sometimes I see social media and it's all about what we're against rather than what we're for. Do you know that what we're for is far more important? What you're against, listen, what you're against ain't going to save anybody. But what you're for will. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes people's lives. It's not legislation, although I'm stoked about Roe versus Wade. Hallelujah. But it's not legislation that changes men and women's hearts. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ shared in the power of the Holy Spirit, his word, that will change our lives, that will change the people's lives that we come in contact with. It's not what the, 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 the drum we're pounding, what we're against, although it's important to be against stuff. I'm down. I'm with you. But if that's all you're sharing, it's not going to change anybody. We need to be witnesses for Jesus, of who he is, of his message, that he came and died for our sins and rose again on the third day and offers life and forgiveness, a change and to fix you from the inside out and to bring you to be in heaven with him forever and ever because of his grace and the free gift that he offers. We are to be faithful. Listen, please. We are to be faithful to speak the truth and to stand for the truth no matter how difficult, no matter how hard, and God will give you what you need to do it. He supplies us with the Spirit to do it. We are to be salt and light. Salt you can taste, light you can see. It's you and you alone, brother or sister. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Don't let your light, what, be hid under a bushel, but put it out, get it out to shine so everyone sees your good works and glorifies your Father in heaven. Jesus said that. I didn't say it. He did we're not to hide our light, our witness. Our lives are to make a difference. If salt loses its saltiness, what good is it for, Jesus said. How does salt lose its saltiness? You know how it happens? It gets diluted. It gets diluted by the world, by the devil, by the, the desires of our flesh. That's how we lose our witness, man. How about Lot? I mean, it says in the New Testament, Lot was a righteous dude. Can you imagine? Remember what he did with his daughters? I'm like, what a pig. But it's interesting as Lot is sharing with his family, no one believes him. Ah, oh, no. You're, what are you, man? 
That's nonsense. Why wasn't he sharp? Why wasn't he salt? Why did no one want to listen to him? I think he was compromising personally. His witness got diluted. And Jesus said, you and you alone are the salt of the earth, a preservative. You bring flavor. You bring healing. Wherever you go. Listen, remember when Moses met with God in Exodus chapter 3? Where, how did, where did God come to? To the, remember, in the back of the desert, where did God come into? He came into a, a bush that didn't burn. A thorny bush. Do you know that you're a thorny bush and I'm a thorny bush? And he's come into us. And may the people that come in contact with, don't, may they not get the thorns, but experience his glory and his love and his grace in our lives. And listen, you and I, we are invincible until he calls us home. Let me close with this. Such a great reminder. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, Listen, at some point, our testimony will be finished, just like the two witnesses, and it'll be time to go home to heaven. And listen to what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. So beautiful. He's, he's on death row. Knows his time is up. About to be beheaded. And here's what he said to young pastor Timothy. He said, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I'm ready to go. Tent pegs pulled up, set the sails. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go home. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I poured out my life fully and completely, maxed out the grace that God's given to me. Serving him, I'm down. No regrets. In fact, he says in the next verse, this is when he says, I have fought the good fight. Are you fighting the good fight this morning, brother, sister? Not that you know the good fight. Do you, are you fighting the good fight? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And Paul's still alive when he's writing this. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, check this out. This is good news. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Does that sound good? How do I get in on this stuff? Listen to the next part of the verse. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. <gasps> Do you love his appearing? Are you looking forward to Jesus coming to get you and me? Yes. <gasps> then guess what he has waiting for you? Can you imagine his nail-scarred hands placing that crown on your head? Saying, well done, good and faithful servant. May we fight the good fight, finish the race, be his witnesses, empowered by him for his glory in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much.